You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, episode 16 with Sean Dove. We can't wait for anyone, right? The cavalry is not coming, right? That's right. We are the iconic leaders that we're, we've been waiting for. We are the curators of the change that we want to see. And I realized that part of my mission, Stephen, was to really and is to help build this cavalry and help to equip and form and resource and connect leaders. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Trailblazers podcast. Today's guest is Sean Dove. Sean is a CEO of the Campaign for Black Male Achievement. It's a national membership organization that's dedicated to ensuring the growth, sustainability, and impact of leaders and organizations focused on improving the life outcomes of America's black men and boys. It was an organization started by the Open Society Foundations in 2008 as the nation's largest philanthropic initiative on this issue. And Dove's leadership has propelled CBMA into becoming an independent entity, growing its membership to more than 4,000 leaders, representing over 2,000 organizations nationwide. Sean has been recognized with numerous community and organizational awards. Most recently, he was named to the 2015 Ebony Magazine Power 100 list that recognizes the most notable influencers and heroes in Black America. I've only known Sean for the past two months, but already I've felt his warmth and his generosity. And you get a vibe from this interview today that he just wants to help each and every person that he comes in contact with. There's no surprise in my mind at this point why billionaire George Soros picked Sean to be at the helm of this organization. Now, in today's session, Sean and I discussed several topics, including the biggest lessons he's learned about himself in the process of growing CBME. We talked about why it's important to lead with generosity in in or relationships. And he talked about what to do, what you can do when you're speaking publicly and you want to make yourself unforgettable. And we finished up with Sean sharing an inspiring poem that he wrote titled, Discover Your G-Spot and Become a Gold Digger. You don't want to miss this poem. It's not what you think when you hear the title. I promise it's rated G and it'll provide you so much inspiration right now that you're going to just jump off this episode today and share it with your friends and coworkers. Well, let's get set to dive into today's episode. If you wanted to reference any of the materials that we mentioned uh, or read Sean's full bio, I've placed that on our show notes page at tbpod.com slash episode 16. Guys, grab your pen and a pad or your favorite note app and get set to take some good notes. I know you're going to truly enjoy today's episode. Sean, thank you so very much for being our special guest today. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, having me and really excited to be talking to you this morning and being on the uh, Trailblazers podcast. Man, if there's anyone that motivates me each and every week to ensure that a podcast episode is ready by 3 a.m. on a Monday morning, it's Sean Dove, because it's not unusual that you tweet your network about a new episode by 8 in the morning, and I'm like, man, I can't mess around and not have an episode ready for Sean. You know, uh, I uh, wait for your uh, episodes uh, every uh, Monday morning. And uh, let me tell you, Stephen, when I came across uh, your podcast, it was around a time when I was saying we need something, a podcast for uh, African-American entrepreneurs and professionals. I was listening to a lot of other podcasts and uh, great information. And I believe, you know, what you are looking for is also looking for you. And as I was thinking about that, I discovered you and your podcast. So I just want to thank you for having the courage and the leadership to uh, dive into the deep end and create this. So thank you. No, I really appreciate you. Thank you very much. So as you know, you know, I've shared a good bit about about you with our community in the intro. But for our listeners who don't know you yet, you know, we want to share something that's maybe not polished and scripted for media consumption, but it's a hundred percent Sean. 
Sure, sure. Well, I'm a native New Yorker, lived in every borough except for uh, Staten Island, and uh, I really uh, think that I was a midwife in a uh, previous life even <laughs> because I just really believe that my calling is to uh, help others give birth to their dreams, to their gifts, and to their callings. In, in, in some cases, you know, many folks have breach dreams and kind of see myself as a midwife helping people pull out of them what they can't push out on, on, their, own. on their own. So I think the most important thing in my bio is the bottom line is that I'm the father of four remarkable children, uh, Nia, Maya, uh, my daughters, and Cameron and Caleb are my twin boys and married to my divine mate, Desiree. And that's the most important thing for me. Wow. So, you know, long before you were CEO at CBMA, you were actually in youth ministry, right? Yes. What was your dream as a kid? Did you always want to be in a position of, of service? Well, my first dream was to be a basketball player, right? Growing up, I was like, Doc, you know, Dr. J, Bob McAdoo, then Magic Johnson. That was my dream. And then I discovered that I uh, was not tall enough, fast enough, or good enough to do that. For a while, <laughs> uh, architecture and uh, being an architect was my dream. Uh, I hmm. went to a, a high school in uh, New York City called Brooklyn Tech, which specialized in that. And I was in a drafting class. I think my sophomore year and I turned to the person next to me and uh, looked at their work and I looked at mine and I said, <laughs> no way are we working on the same assignment. You know, I had <laughs> fingerprints and smudges and and so uh, I, I stopped uh, doing that. And all through my life, you know, growing up and going to college, you know, I thought I wanted to be a sports writer. I explored mm. that as well. And, you know, I believe that sometimes, you know, quite often you have to find out what you don't want in order to find out what you uh, do want. And I grew up being exposed to uh, some amazing mentors and social entrepreneurs. And they were planting seeds inside of me to do exactly what I am doing now. And when I was leading uh, youth ministries at First Baptist Church in Lincoln Gardens here in uh, New Jersey, I was doing that and publishing a newspaper called Proud Papa and for right. African-American fathers. And so I just believe that, you know, God has just kind of, you know, guided me to the right people, the right places. And I am thrilled to say that I've discovered, you know, my calling and what I'm doing now as the CEO of the Campaign for Black Male Achievement. Just really earnestly believe that everything that I've been through, Stephen, the good, the bad, has prepared me for this moment in, in life. And leading youth ministry was a part of that also. That's awesome. I also have served in youth ministry in my church here right at the beginning of our marriage up until we, we started having kids and, and life kind of consumed us. But it's all it's been a part of my heart. So I connected you there. You know, I, I've, I've read that you were raised in a single parent home in New York. And you mentioned a moment ago, you know, about different mentors helping you. And I, I was curious, you know, who was your most valuable mentor growing up in and through those those more challenging years as a youngster? Wow. I would have to start with my mom, Deanna, strong Jamaican woman who just taught me so much about resiliency, sacrifice. I did not grow up with my dad. Uh, my mom and dad were not uh, married. And uh, my mother was just kind of a pioneer and very creative. But uh, we lived in the South Bronx in my early years, and there was no child care, and she was working, and she was resourceful. She found a woman in Harlem on 119th Street and Lenox Avenue, Lillian Smith, that took care of other children. And so during the week, I stayed with who I called my godmother, uh, Miss Smith. And I don't know mm -hmm. if you ever saw the film uh, Lackawanna Blues with Hill Harper, but that was my experience living uh, with Lil. She had borders and it was different characters. And my mother was really resourceful. And I vividly remember when we moved together full time and moved down to the Upper West Side into a one bedroom apartment. And my mother at 12 years old gave me the bedroom 
and she slept on the pull-out couch. And so she taught me about determination. Uh, She taught me Mm -hmm. about sacrifice. And she really demonstrated the whole spirit of perseverance. So so she was my number one mentor. But I will tell you, I'm pretty high maintenance, Stephen. And I've had a succession (laughs) of uh, amazing mentors uh, in my life. No way would I be doing what I am doing right now without a dream team of mentors in my life. I didn't know you had Jamaican roots, Sean. Yes, yes. I thought I maybe uh, tweeted that so, to you, and uh, maybe that was drawn. You know, part of uh, <laughs> uh, listening to your podcast, I just love your accent, and I just love to hear you uh, hear you hear you speak. So yeah, I'm Jamaican. Uh, my <laughs> That's right. from Jamaica, and she uh, immigrated to the states uh, when she was uh, about 18 years old. Yep. So did I. I was about 16 at the time. Yes. That's awesome. So you know, before we get too far in, I, I know many many of our listeners are probably not as familiar with CBMA. So I was thinking, you know, for the benefit of those listening, could you maybe share a little bit of a background on CBMA and then, you know, maybe what you do day to day? Sure, sure. So the Campaign for Black Male Achievement was established in 2008 at a foundation called the Open Society Foundations. And right. that's the philanthropy of George Soros, who you may have heard of, Hungarian-born billionaire. And his philanthropy really focused around social justice and investing in uh, the most marginalized populations across the nation. And CBMA was created to invest in and shift how black men and boys were having experiences in the United States and to uh, partner with a bunch of organizations that were looking to say, how do we improve the life outcomes of black men and boys? It was supposed to be a three-year initiative in uh, 2008, but through a lot of hard work, we managed to spin it off and extend it into an independent entity. And, That's awesome. And our mission, essentially, it's a membership uh, organization. We have about 5,000 individual members and about 3,000 organizational uh, uh, members. But we really exist to ensure that the growth and sustainability and impact of leaders and organizations committed to improving life outcomes of black men and boys, that their, their work grows. What I saw, Stephen, was that when we launched the campaign, there was a growing cry around the country for us just to change the outcomes and the disparities that black men and boys have historically faced in the United States. And I saw that we were asking leaders and organizations that were under-resourced, not connected to deliver uh, outcomes that, that they had, they didn't have the infrastructure to do. And so, you know, we're a grant-making organization. And during our time within the foundation, we uh, invested about $100 million across the nation to help wow. build this movement of black male achievement. When I started, folks were saying, well, it's not a field, it's not a movement. And it was my first involvement in philanthropy. And I guess I wasn't smart enough to believe those folks. And I said, you know what? It is a field. It is a movement. And we really worked very intentionally without with shifting the language to an asset-based language. It wasn't about marginalized men, disconnected dads. We said that we wanted to create something that really tapped into the power, the assets, attributes of black men and boys, and we decided to call it the Campaign for Black Male Achievement. And when we started, we really invested in education, strengthening family structures, increasing living wage, uh, work opportunities. Grant making. But I will tell you the transformational shift. Like I said, we were a uh, three year campaign, and Mm -hmm. about halfway through that term, during a board meeting, and this is an example on how your life can change uh, on a given moment, in a given day, in a given meeting. I made a presentation to the Open Society Foundation's board, and George Soros said, I like what I see, I like the energy of the campaign, and how you your growing community. And he took off the term limits, the three-year term limits, and said, we're going to triple 
your budget. And what he really wow. did was we went from investing $5 million a year to groups to $15 million a year. And he made a big bet on this issue of uh, black male achievement. But I will say at that time, I realized that, you know, America doesn't need a uh, didn't need a campaign for black male achievement. And what we really needed was what I called a corporation for black male achievement and endowed philanthropic enterprise that could lean into this issue for the long haul. Look, we didn't get here overnight, as you know, right? This is a right. uh, not only a generational issue, this has been a centuries-long right. uh, fight in, in, in the United States. And so what I managed to do with some ingenuity, some courage, was to convince the foundation to uh, spin us off into an independent organization, and with a $10 million investment last year from the Open Society Foundations and contributions from other foundations, we spun off into our own organization, and I had to transfer from being a, what I like to call, social entrepreneur to a social entrepreneur, and so that's what the campaign does. We focus on not working directly with black men and boys, but with the leaders and the organizations that are uh, doing the work across the country. Well, I'm happy that you had those blinders on and just pushed ahead. As I was reading a lot about what you've done with CBMA, you know, I was curious to talk with you a little bit about some of the biggest things that you learned about yourself in the process of growing CBMA to what it is today. Wow, that is an amazing uh, a question because I've learned so much. I think the first thing is what I had to do when I first took the position in 2008 is really deal with this voice in my head, Stephen. The voice in my head said, Sean, who are you? Who the heck are you to be leading Man. a national campaign for black male achievement? Your story is not too far removed from many of the issues that this campaign is seeking to deal with. In recovery, you know, I am grateful and happy to say, you know, recovered from drug addiction. And at the time, I had 20 years of a recovery, a single parent household. You did a lot of stuff, Sean, but you just didn't get caught. And and for, you know, the first three or four months, I'm trying to justify why I should have, I, I got this job. And God said to me, Sean, I picked you exactly because of all that you've gone through. I picked okay. you because of your shortcomings. And once I began to own that, that this was part of my purpose, I began to walk in it. And so that was certainly a powerful lesson. And I also learned the uh, power of, you know, making a declaration. I remember being in a uh, convening. We hosted a uh, transformational leadership retreat in Miami. And I remember in December of 2011, that was the first time I made the public statement of, I think we need to spin this campaign off into an independent entity. And I want to launch a corporation Black male achievement. And being able to say that out loud began to, one, declare. Yeah, you know, I always say, be careful what you declare because it just may appear, right? And so that gave nice. me the power to walk in that, one, but it also allowed others to rally around this vision. And my mantra, I have many mission mantras for the campaign, but at the heart of the mantra, and when I look at communities, the black community across the nation, what I realized was, you know, we can't wait for anyone, right? The cavalry is not coming, right? That's right. We are the iconic leaders that we're, we've been waiting for. We are the curators of the change that we want to see. And I realized that part of my mission, Stephen, was to really and is to help build this cavalry and help to equip and form and resource and connect leaders so that they can uh, be the ones that make the change happen in their communities. So uh, those are some uh, early lessons. Resiliency, right? Because I have heard no many times and not only my uh, leadership with the campaign for black male achievement, but just in my life. And for me, no means new opportunity or 
next opportunity. And just a quick example of that, you know, we created the first Black Male Achievement Fellowship and partnership with an organization called Echoing Green. And I remember when we wrote the proposal and we were negotiating internally at the foundation and I presented it and the leader at the time looked at me and said, there's no way we can do this. It's just not in your budget. And my response was, why not? And she turned around and went back to her calculator, pushed a few buttons and turned and looked at me and said, "Okay, this is how we can do it. And I said, God, suppose suppose I just said, "Okay," and I didn't say, why not? And so I, you know, just let folks know all the time that, you know, where there's a will, there's there are several ways. And so I think that principle and value and belief has uh, helped me tremendously roll this campaign into an independent $5 million a year agency. And uh, we're just getting started. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking about the fact that you're not selling widgets. You're not selling software. You're out there every day trying to influence other social entrepreneurs to have an impact on a society and and change the way, you know, people perceive and look at black men. And I'm thinking about how you're able to maybe influence the other leaders that you're raising up. And, you know, how how does a great leader like yourself continue to have a huge vision and be successful in what can be a very emotional experience at times? So I, you know, I think mentorship is invaluable. As a leader, I have a philosophy of continuous growth, continuous development. I am a junkie when it comes to professional development. And I have been blessed to have around me some amazing mentors and people that are pouring into me. And so that helps with my professional leadership. I have an executive coach. I say, if you are trying to to do uh, something big as a social entrepreneur, if you don't have an executive coach and or a therapist, uh, you are going to have a, a a hard time. And so, define an executive coach, Sean. Sure, an executive coach is someone that is professional in assisting me as a leader with my management. Uh, challenges and uh, strategies, um, my leadership development, helping to me to bounce off with them the things that I am trying to do to grow my organization. And when I look at the campaign for Black Male Achievement and my role as CEO, uh, Stephen, I have five building blocks. And one is to build the organization and the enterprise. Two is to build capital. You need resources to do this work. Three is to build community, and that's collaborations, that's relationships, Mm -hmm. that's the network. Four is to build the brand, not only the brand of the uh, campaign for black male achievement, but the overall brand of black male achievement in the United States. And four, the last is to build value, to build value for my stakeholders, my board, my staff, the membership, my funders. And those are the five building blocks that I work with my uh, executive coach in. And how am I doing with those? What are my blind spots? And the ability to talk things out. And I often go into the sessions with my executive coach wanting a silver bullet, (laughs) a magic pill, tell me what to do. And I have an executive coach that does not do that at all. He asks questions and it makes me realize that many of the answers are already within me. And I think that's Mm. really essential. I think also to do the work that I am doing and to lead change and to be a leader, no matter matter what level you are on, you have to be on a constant process of developing yourself both spiritually and physically. I am realizing that this is exhausting. And uh, Sean, the level of physical fitness and spiritual fitness that you're in dictates, you know, you know, my, my, my effectiveness. And I think the other thing is being vulnerable. As a leader, I have no problem letting folks know I don't have all the answers, right? They have probably yeah. already determined that already. <laughs> that this guy does not have all the answers. And being able to surround myself 
with talented, innovative self-starters to help build the team. And so I think those are some key elements that allows me to be an effective leader of others, other leaders. Right. So a minute ago, you mentioned blind spots. What have you discovered to be some of your blind spots as a leader? I think that the same thing that makes me successful on the flip side of the coin, Stephen, uh, can be a liability. And my passion and my emotion that infuses me to say, you know what, I believe that I can change the world. I can. Be- I believe that we can shift the narrative about black men and boys in the United States and improve the outcomes and the conditions and shift the policies and structures. That same passion and emotion to make me want to believe that that's possible. On the flip side, a blind spot is I am too quick at times to respond with passion Mm. and emotion, right? And I am learning more and more every day. You know what, Sean? You don't have to respond immediately. You can sleep on something. And what's the strategic response, not the emotional uh, response? So I think that's certainly uh, one, I think, blind spot that, that I have. And that's a great one. That's something that we can all take away and work towards, right? And I, I know that's true for me. And, and I will also say understanding what I am good at and what I'm not right. good at. And I am not the operations person, right? I am certainly the uh, visionary. There are two CEOs within me. There is the chief evangelical officer, which I would want to lead with all the time. When I am learning that I also have to be the chief executive officer officer and that I'm running a business and that it is important for me to surround myself with the people that have the skills that I don't have so that I can play to my strengths. Mm. I appreciate you sharing that and being open with us about that. Sean, one of the things I admire most about you is your Twitter game, right? You are someone that's always sharing and uplifting and promoting the good of others on social media. And, you know, I'm, I'm just blown away by, by how much you're able to get done and you're still always traveling and doing so many things. And what, why is it so important to lead with generosity in the relationships you develop, even through social media? So I think that... I live my life in the spirit of uh, reciprocity. I would not be having this conversation with you on a podcast about uh, African-American black trailblazers if folks have not or did not pour into me all through my life. And and so I give that back. Right. And what I love about and I shared earlier that, uh, again, uh, I think I was a midwife in uh, a previous life. And I get so much joy in encouraging others and inspiring others. And to me, you know, the power of social media, particularly Twitter, I call Twitter the digital underground railroad. And uh, I believe that words have power. I believe that the right word coming from the right person at the right time can have a transformational impact in someone's life. And so absolutely, that's why I am constantly feeding the uh, universe with inspirational quotes and, and, and messages. And you know what, Stephen, at the same time, I'm encouraging myself, right? The messages I put out boomerang and come back to me. And I think lastly, uh, with, with Twitter, I could have taken uh, so many uh, different career paths. I think inside of me, there is a motivational speaker. Inside of me, there is a minister. Inside of me, there is an advertising copywriter. In, inside of me, there is a coach. And all of that intersects with my messages on online. And uh, I cannot tell you uh, the joy that I get when someone inboxes me and says, you know what? What you just shared with me made a, a, a difference, right, uh, in my life, and, and, and thank you. And so, listen, you are doing the same thing. The platform that you've created with uh, Trailblazers, you are changing lives of people you will never, ever meet. But through one of your podcasts, you are making a connection. People are seeing other black folks in this nation that are doing some incredible things. And I believe if we could see it, 
we can be it. So absolutely. So, so we're all in this together. You know, you're doing the same kind of inspiring and encouraging. And I think that that's why we got attracted and we got connected to each other. Absolutely. Thank you very much. So, you know, in your role, you're you're constantly on the go. I see you meeting with different leaders. You're speaking at different events and on and on. And I know that a big fear that many people have is to speak publicly. You know, could you maybe share a couple of lessons that people need to be working on when they speak publicly to make themselves unforgettable? Wow. Uh, one is you have to first conquer the fear, right, or, or feel the fear and do it anyway. I do a great deal of uh, public speaking, mm. Stephen, and I am terrified every time I Are you? do it. Yes, uh, I have butterflies, but, you know, I have seven tenets and principles that I call my deep in uh, leadership principles. And the first one is calling. And I discovered a long time ago that God called me to speak, to share messages and to encourage others. So number one, to understand it's not about me. This is about a greater purpose. So two is to understand that, you know, it's about progress and not perfection. And 15 years ago, I may have thought like, wow, I was a pretty good speaker and I will listen to something um, and I will be like, wow, Sean, you are really horrible. And I just keep <laughs> doing it. I keep I keep doing it. I think also what's really important is preparation and being prepared. And I will admittedly uh, let you know that that's an area that I constantly have to be aware of because I like I got so much going on and I like to wing it. And, you know, sometimes I'm up there. I said, Sean, you should have did a better job preparing. And but, you know, I had an amazing experience at the Apollo Theater a couple decades ago speaking where I got lost in the middle of a speech, a jam-packed Apollo Theater. And I, really? I found myself in a place where no public speaker wants to be in the middle of a sentence and not knowing what I was going to What to say next? I quickly got off the stage, didn't know what I... Wow. And I said to myself as I sat there and the program continued, I am never, ever getting in front of a crowd and speaking speaking again. But then I had to quickly remember how many times, Sean, did you have you said to young people in your role as a community leader, when something happens, don't get bitter, get better, right? Don't get bitter, get better. And I said, you know what? You got to bounce back and you have to do that. And as fate would have it shortly thereafter, I had another opportunity to speak at the Apollo Theater. Was I terrified? Yes. Did I show up? Yes. I don't know what I said, but I got a standing ovation. And I said, Sean, really? suppose you would have uh, uh, just, given, just up. given up. I think also what's important is to have something to say, right? To have something that you are committed to, passionate about, and realizing that there is one person in that audience, right, that needs to hear what you have to say. And before Absolutely. I speak, I always say, God, use me as you see fit. Let me be somebody's miracle today. So if I'm speaking in front of a thousand, right, I don't go into it and say, look, I'm trying to persuade all thousand, you know, every thousand person in this room. If there's one person in here that I can touch, let let me do that. And that helps ease my anxiety as a, uh, a public speaker. Uh, I'm really happy you shared that with us. That speaks to me in a big way. You know, you seem to be always working with community leaders and people with power to affect change. I was curious to know if you're in, in charge of our, our nation's educational system, what would you change and implement at the highest level to bring about the change you want to see for black males and how they're perceived? Well, that's an excellent question, right? And the first thing that I would do is um, I would manifest and implement the uh, what's called the power of a positive deviant, Stephen. And what that really means is that the solution to the world's uh, most intractable problems lies in the head 
heads, the hands and the hearts of the communities and the individuals that we in leadership and philanthropic positions often try and paratroop into communities with the solutions. And mm. so the first thing is I would really uh, seek to decentralize a lot of the decision making or the sharing of power, right? That parents community leaders have solutions to the education challenges of not just black boys, but their communities. And right. so that so that would be one of the first things I would foster and ensure that there are community-based partnerships between educational institutions. Then I would also look at and follow the money. Sadly, zip codes and where our young people are born become predetermined of what kind of resources, what kind of education, what kind of trained teachers that they have in their schools. I believe that all of our young people have genius and that genius needs the right environment, the right resources, the right instructors and partnerships to pull that out. And so certainly would shift how money is being distributed in communities across the country. And then I would also look at just the professional development and the support that our teachers have. One, particularly around cultural competence and how our institutions of education are preparing teachers to go into communities of color, right? And quite often, uh, teachers are plopped into communities without the uh, proper preparation uh, and the, the resources uh, right. and the uh, and the partnerships. And so I um, have been blessed to be mentored and worked with one of the uh, most amazing uh, social entrepreneurs and civil rights leaders of our time, a brother by the name of uh, Jeffrey Canada, who uh, founded the Harlem Children's Own. And many of the principles and practices that he has employed in that groundbreaking movement of the Harlem Children's Own, look, success leaves clues. And so mm. uh, I would not need to reinvent the wheel. And during my time working at the Harlem Children's Zone, we created something called uh, Beacon Schools. And Beacon Schools were partnerships between public schools and community-based organizations that kept school buildings open 15 hours a day and all weekends and brought in additional resources into the schools, allowed educators to be educators, but we had social workers, we had parent engagement, really creating community hubs within schools to ensure that, you know, it's not just about what's happening in the school building, but how does a school become a catalyst for community building? And so okay. I think we really know what needs to happen uh, in this nation to shift education. It's a matter of do we have the will to, uh, right. to, to make it happen? Take action. Thanks for, for highlighting that and sharing that. Sean, how has being a family man, you mentioned your wife and your four children. How have they affected this journey that you find yourself on? Well, being a father and a husband has grounded me in a way like no other experience in my life. The sense of, Sean, you're not living your life for yourself. The sense of legacy and what am I not only leaving for my children, but what am I leaving in my children really drives me. There are some days where I feel like I am the husband and father of the year. Uh, and then there are some <laughs> days when I feel like, you know what, you have a long way <laughs> to go, Sean. Um, I um, derive my inspiration and sense of uh, purpose and energy from what I like to call my doveness and uh, the doveness. And look, all transparency, uh, this is my second marriage, right? Mm -hmm. And my life really began to change when I uh, met my divine mate, uh, my wife, Desiree, who uh, has been an amazing source of inspiration, love, uh, and a champion over the last 22 years. I, wow. I remember when 
I launched my newspaper, uh, Proud Papa, and I left uh, a high paying executive level job uh, running a mentoring organization to pursue this uh, dream. And I remember we were going to press first uh, edition. Uh, it was risky, took a gamble. Uh, there was mortgage to pay. And I remember her coming down uh, into my office in the basement and saying to me, I'm really proud of you. Mm. And when a man hears that from the woman that he loves, from his wife, that honor and that encouragement, we will run through a brick wall, right? Absolutely. We will, uh, do something that we didn't know we had in us. So, so, so that's my uh, inspiration. And my wife always reminds me that black male achievement begins and ends at home. So, yes, you are out around the country elevating and evangelizing this work, but your first priority is at home, Stephen. And so that's that. Right. That's what keeps me uh, uh, grounded. You know, trust me, there are days when my prayer, my newspaper was Proud Papa, and my Proud Papa prayer is, uh, God, forgive them. They know not that they dance on my last nerve. <laughs> uh, you know, look, you're, you're a father. You can uh, relate, uh, you know, relate right. to that. So uh, um, that's my, uh, my my compass and my, my, my ground and base, being a father and a, and a husband. Man, that's that's awesome. Sean, we're we're nearing the end of today's session, but you know, we like to share resources with our listeners that help them to sharpen their mind and and look to new things to explore, right? Could you maybe share with us one book that you've read in the past year that's inspired you? So I will I am constantly reading books, right? And I'm usually reading about five <laughs> at a time. And really? I'm going to uh, share, you know, one of my all-time classes that I uh, go back to and resource all the time. And it's a book by Dennis Kimbrough, and it's called Think and Grow Rich, uh, A Black Choice. And that is one of my mainstays on my uh, uh, librarian. And as you know, it's uh, based on the uh, Napoleon Hill classic, mm -hmm. Think and Grow Rich. But Dennis, Dr. Dennis Kembro put a African-American spin on Think and Grow Rich and really elevated the many heroes and sheroes from our community. And I remember at a time when I read this book, uh, it was transformational. It instilled within me an entrepreneurial spirit, right? It was in that book, and you shared this in your podcast earlier this week about uh, Russell Conwell's story, Acres of Diamond. And it was yep. first when I first read that story, it was in Dennis Kimbrough's book. And I think at the heart of it, he reminds us that, you know, in the seed of every adversity that we go through is the seed of a greater achievement. And uh, so that is one book that I would certainly uh, lift up, particularly for your audience of, uh, of, of, of black achievers. Sean, what's something you've done this month, um, something small you've done this month that you're proud of? Wow. I would say that this month, being a support, so two things this month. My wife is graduating with her nurse practitioner degree on uh, Sunday uh, from Rutgers. Uh, she's a nurse That's practitioner. Awesome. And on Saturday, my oldest daughter is graduating from community college. And I would say it's not something I did just this month. It has just been a continuum of being a support and being a champion to both my wife, Desiree, and my oldest daughter, Nia, to be a cheerleader for this accomplishment that both of them are, uh, are having. And so I would point to those two things that I am uh, most proud of this past month. Awesome. Con congratulations, to Desiree, and congratulations to Nia. Sean, can a, a, budding, a budding trailblazer have too many goals and, and how does that affect your momentum if you do? So, wow. The answer to that question in my mind is yes and no, right? You can certainly have uh, too many goals if you are trying to do them all at the same time. 
And mm-hmm. I struggle with this. I'm a startup guy and I have new ideas, new goals that are popping up all the time. I believe if you have more than five core like entrepreneurial goals, more than at the same time that you're trying to do, you are spreading yourself too thin. Right. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to have a treasure chest of goals that, you know, things that you want to do. But the issue of focus and clarity, if you are working on more than five at a time, yes, it's 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 too many. Sean, name an online resource. Could be an app, software, or tool that you use every day and you can't live without it. I would say it is my iPhone where I access a host of podcasts uh, and informational materials every day, including, and I'm not just saying this because we are uh, having this conversation, uh, the Trailblazers podcast, because I truly believe if it didn't exist, I was thinking about creating it. And, I remember you saying that. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, if it didn't exist, I was thinking about creating it. So I am constantly absorbing inspirational, entrepreneurial, social entrepreneurial uh, information um, from uh, leaders across the uh, across the country, and so that 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 would be uh, my my resource that I would share. You know, I'll never forget when we first started, we met over Twitter and I remember your, your, your reaction in words. You know, you mentioned a moment ago, your words are so powerful. I remember you saying to me, I've been looking for you for like the last six months. And I was like, I hit the nail on the head. You know, you have this idea. Right. And you give birth to an idea and you wonder, you know, is the world going to receive this? Are there other people looking for what you're creating? And your words were like confirmation to me, like I'm moving in the right direction. Somebody else out there wanted to see this podcast come to life. And I, I appreciate that. No, actually, it was a relief because I was going to put that on one on the list of one of the things that I wanted to do. <laughs> and, and, and so I am looking forward to look partnerships. I think, you know, uh, dream work takes teamwork. Uh, Absolutely. Partnerships are key. And so I am looking forward to finding ways that the campaign for black male achievement and me personally, uh, Stephen, can partner with you to spread the message of uh, Trailblazers podcast. How do we infuse into our educational system and to our classrooms. And uh, so you can count on me as uh, being one of your biggest, uh, biggest champions. You already are, sir. (laughs) So, you know, I know that you have a big heart for this, but why is it important that we, everyone listening, volunteers and gives back of their time, their talents and their treasures? So I believe that we were, we all have a calling, right? That, we are not accidents that we are been put here on this earth to be a blessing to other people. Right. And I think our challenge is finding the courage to one, not only discover our calling, but the courage to act on it. And inherently, I believe that we are all connected in this world, uh, no matter race, color, creed, and that my success is inextricably tied to your success. And as I pour into you, as I encourage you, I encourage myself, right? And so it's like we're all candles, right? And if I help light someone else's uh, fire, my candle doesn't go out. And I think that if we live our lives with a sense of purpose like that, that we have been called to light other folks' light and, 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 and to inspire other people, we would begin to see change uh, uh, in this uh, nation. And, you know, I say, Stephen, all the time that life is all about uh, discovering your G-spot. And I don't mm-hmm. mean uh, the G-spot that some other folks may immediately think of. And when I say <laughs> G-spot, I think about your gift spot, your great spot, mm-hmm. uh, your God spot, your gold spot, because we all have treasure inside of us. And it's our job to discover our G-spots and share it with the world, right? And I know that 
we've never had anyone close on your podcast with a poem. And I would love to take the liberty if we have time to uh, for me to close with my G spot uh, poem challenging all your listeners to uh, discover their G spot and become uh, well, I, I like to say uh, become gold diggers. Would that be OK? The, pla- the platform is yours. Take it away. Great. Great. And I, de- I dedicate this to uh, one of my poetry teachers who was a mentor of mine in uh, high school and it's called gold. And it goes like this. If ever there was a time for you to dig deep within, it is now if only you would decide and begin mining your soul for your buried gold is why you are here. So dig deep and be bold. It is your purpose, your life's divine mission. It is your calling. So just be still and listen. And you will hear an old soul sweet sound telling you where your gold can be found. And you would be wise to not let another moment fly by as the day will come when you will surely die. Then the question for you will resoundingly be, did you dig deep for your gold for the world to see? Mining your soul for your buried gold is why you are here. So dig deep and be bold. And, you know, this is for all the gold diggers uh, listening to uh, this amazing podcast. And uh, you are certainly a gold digger, uh, uh, Stephen. And I uh, thank you for uh, tapping into uh, your G spot and sharing it with all of man, us. Man, I am I am moved by that, man. Thank you so much for sharing that poem. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's that's really great. Sean, you know, I, I want to take 60 seconds to just thank you and to let you know how much I appreciate you. I value you. I respect you. You're taking your time out of a very busy schedule, I'm sure, at 8 a.m. on a weekday morning, away from your wife, away from your children, so you could share this extremely inspiring story, your wisdom, your inspiration. I'm really inspired by you, and you're a big brother that I'm happy to follow in your lead and and find ways to impact the next generation coming up behind us. So, you know, please keep your foot on your gas pedal because I do firmly believe that you're making a lasting impact because of what you're doing for several cities and communities all around our nation. And I, I'm just I'm just really impressed by you and, and just thank you. Well thank you, Stephen. Uh, just count me as a member of your dream team. And I am here to support you and thank you for creating this platform and having the courage and putting it out there. The Trailblazers of podcast and the work that you are doing is sowing seeds into the hearts and minds of so many across this country. Uh, you have no idea the impact that you're having. Not only this country, I think you're in, you're in 38 countries. So uh, uh, this is glo- global transformation you're leading. So thank you uh, for your leadership and your courage. Thank you, my brother. Before we let you go, please tell us how we can stay connected to you and CBMA, and we'll finish up for today. So, of course, I can be found on Twitter uh, at DoveSource. My website is blackmailachievement.org. I can be emailed at sdove at blackmailachievement.org, LinkedIn. Facebook, you know, those are all the uh, platforms that folks can get in contact with me. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you for being on today's show. And thank you. And looking forward to staying in contact and continue to build with you, brother. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. Really hope you enjoyed Sean's inspiring story. We'll be posting links to Sean's book recommendation, his social channels, and his website on our show notes page at tvpod.com slash episode 16. Listen, I'm so excited and grateful to every one of you. Thank you for helping me get the word out and continuing to share Uh, the amazing stories of our podcast with your friends and colleagues or download numbers just continue to grow as I mentioned in our last episode we're now downloaded in over 38 countries around the world so please continue sharing the podcast invite others to listen to an episode you think might impact them most someone listening to one of these inspiring stories just might might be moved 
enough to make a change that impacts the world for many others in the process. So keep blazing your trail today, guys. And as Sean said, keep digging for gold.